We're in our Matthew series. Last week, Kelly recapped why the book of Matthew is, is who it's written to, why it was written, um, so on and so forth. And, and so what I wanted to do is a little recap on Matthew as well, but I'm going to look more at the events that have happened. And, and this is just going to be like a quick brief overview leading up to where we find ourselves in Matthew now. So obviously we know Jesus is born, right? First things first. Genealogy of Jesus, Jesus is born. Jesus escapes death from Herod. Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist. God's spirit descends on him like a dove and God comes in and, and, and says, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. Jesus is led into the wilderness He's in the wilderness for 40 days. He comes back empowered by the Spirit. That's when he begins his public ministry. Then he does the Sermon on the Mount. This is Matthew 5 and 6. I think it's 5. Well, it's two whole chapters in Matthew early on. It talks about the Beatitudes. It talks about salt and light. Christ fulfilling the law. Anger, divorce, oaths, retaliation. Loving your enemies. Giving, fasting, the Lord's Prayer, on and on, all in those two chapters, like a huge chunk of teaching. Jesus is healing all kinds of people. He's delivering people from demons. He's healing people of sicknesses. He's bringing people back from the dead. Like all these crazy, amazing things are happening. Jesus starts catching flack from the religious leaders. In Matthew 12, 24, the religious leaders say, but when the Pharisees heard it, they said, it is only by Beelzebul, that, uh, the prince of demons, that this man casts out demons. Jesus responds in saying, Satan can't cast out himself. So basically, they're, they're feeling challenged and threatened by Jesus at this point. And so now they're starting to get concerned, and they're starting to raise their voices and speak out against who Jesus is. Jesus gives us the parables. We've talked about a whole bunch of those. He controls the wind and the waves. He walks on water. He walks on water. He tells Peter, step out of the boat. Peter walks on water. That's unbelievable. It's so amazing. All the things that the disciples have seen happen up to this point. And we're going to be in Matthew 17 today. And this is, if you think that they've seen it all, they haven't. This moment, the transfiguration of Jesus is God just takes a second and he unzips the veil of heaven. And he shows Jesus in his true glory. I'm just going to dive right into the scripture and we're going to get going. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew 17. I'm going to read a good chunk of text. It's verses 1 through 20. And it says, After six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Sound familiar? Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. I would have already been terrified. I would have already been like, what is happening right now? This is amazing, and I am afraid for my life. This is crazy. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, rise and have no fear. 
And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, tell no one this vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. And the disciples asked him, then why do, you, why do the scribes say that Elijah must come? He answered, Elijah does come, and he will restore all things. But I tell you that Elijah has already come. And they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they pleased. So also the Son of Man will certainly suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was speaking to them of John the Baptist. Verse 14, And when they came to the crowd, a man came up to him and kneeling before him said, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he has seizures and he suffers terribly. For often he falls into the fire and often into the water, and I brought him to your disciples and they could not heal him. And Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the boy was healed instantly. And then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why could we not cast it out? He said to them, because of your little faith, for truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Let's pray. God, this is such a glorious and holy moment Will you reveal, while you reveal your son for, for just a second to a very few select people. We ask that you would minister through your word this morning. I pray, Lord, that you would use me. May I be your mouthpiece to say what you want to say to your church this morning. May we be changed. May we catch a glimpse of heaven as we look into this passage a little further. God, may you get the glory this morning. This is all about you. It's all for you. And we're grateful in Jesus' name. Amen. So I try to put myself in the disciples' shoes, right? So you, you, there's 12 disciples. Nine of them are down at the bottom of the mountain with the crowd, and Jesus picks these three. And they go up the mountain, and they're walking up the mountain, and then all of a sudden, Jesus like completely changes, Transfigured means to, to, to change into something else, to change into something more glorious and more distinct. So his, it says that his face was shown like the sun and his clothes were bright white. And I'm like, I, I, like I said a few minutes ago, I would have been terrified already. I would have been freaked out. Then the thing is, the interesting thing is Moses and Elijah come onto the scene. Now they're having visions of a man who's dead, Moses, and a man who was snatched up and taken to heaven. When you look in 2 Kings, Elijah didn't die. He was snatched up in a, in, in a whirlwind, scripture says, and he was taken into heaven. So Peter, James, and John are seeing like the trifecta of the faith. This would be like us seeing Thor, He-Man, and, and I don't know, uh, does, does everybody, anybody know who he, or everybody know who he meant? It's the rock. Yeah. So Thor, Iron Man, and Captain America were like, whoa, I don't believe this, you know? Only, this is even greater. So these are like three heroes of the faith. This is Moses. Moses was given the law from God. Elijah, one of the most distinct and profound prophets. And Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ, the savior of all humanity, hanging out together and having a conversation. I wish scripture detailed out what that conversation was. It doesn't. But I would imagine, and, and this is just me in my mind trying to figure out, like, what, what was that conversation like? I would imagine Jesus going up to Moses and saying, I'm here to fulfill the law. 
a law that could not be satisfied, I am the satisfaction of that law. And he looks at Elijah and he says, I'm here to fulfill the prophecies of the coming Messiah. And the disciples see this and they, they recognize this. They, they have this opportunity and they go, oh, Jesus has said all these things about fulfilling the law and, and talks about the fulfilling of prophecy of him being the Messiah. Just one chapter earlier, he, he says, who do people say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And Peter confesses him as the Christ. So, so, so they would recognize this is the fulfillment of the law. This is the fulfillment of the prophecies of the coming Messiah. And, and Jesus <clears throat> is, is in, in full glory, the, the veil of heaven unzipped for just a moment. And this is important because not only do the disciples recognize this as the fulfillment of the law and, and the fulfillment of, of the prophecies of Jesus coming, but it's also for the Jewish readers who read the book of Matthew. Matthew has been building a case this whole time for who Jesus is. And so now when he pens this and he puts it in scripture, and the Jewish readers read this, they would recognize, oh, here's one more testimony proving Jesus is who he says he is and proving that he's the savior of humanity and that the Messiah has come. We're not waiting for a Messiah any longer. He has already come. I want to look at verse four again. And Peter said to Jesus, <laughs> I was telling Steph, every time I read this, I laugh because Peter just, he is the foot and mouth disciple over and over and over again. Last week, he was rebuked by Jesus, and Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Here he is, and he says, Lord, it's good that we're here. Let's build a tent and hang out. This is amazing. I don't want to leave here. I'm like, stupid Peter. <laughs> Think about your favorite vacation. Ours was... One of mine was, was in Cabo on our, our first anniversary. And, and we're at the beach, there's no kids. You know vacation's different when you go with your kids, right? It's not always vacation. <laughs> Comedian I like says, so he says, I, I used to love vacation and now we have our kids and, and we, I get the wife in the car and I get all the kids in the car and I close the door and vacation begins. And I walk around the car, take a deep breath and I open my door and vacation is over. <laughs> That's what it's like when you vacation with kids, isn't it? That's not the kind of vacation I'm talking about. The one I'm talking about, the one I'm referencing, our first anniversary, we're having great food, we're sleeping in, we're on the beach, we swam with a dolphin named Frida, we're doing anniversary things. You know, it's just a really good time. We don't wanna leave. We don't wanna come home. It's a mountaintop moment. This is what Peter's experienced. He's having a mountaintop moment. He's like, Lord, it's good that we're here. How about I build some tents and we just hang out here? He was ready to forego his mission. One chapter earlier, after he confesses Jesus as the Christ, Jesus tells, basically commissions Peter and says, hey, I'm building a church and, and you're going to be a part of that. This is a big thing for him to say, I'm about to build a church. What does that take? That takes Peter being on mission, right? He can't just stay on the mountaintop. But because of that moment, because it was so holy, because it was so profound, because he's seeing, again, the trifecta of the Christian faith, basically, in his mind, he doesn't want to leave. 
He wants to stay. His response is how any of us would respond, I think. You go, oh, what? I get to hang out with three of the most profound people in history? I don't want to leave. It's my first anniversary. I'm having the most amazing time. I'm enjoying the company of my wife. No distractions. Great food, great drinks, great time. I don't want to leave. The problem is we have these mountaintop moments and we try to recreate them. We try to get that fix over and over and over again, don't we? Whatever that is in your life. See, not all experiences are bad and, and, and negative or, 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 or hurtful. Some experiences are really, really good and they're really amazing, but they can actually take you away from the mission of God. This is a moment like that where Peter is ready to forego it all one chapter earlier, God's like, I'm building a church and you're in, Peter. And he's like, we could just hang out here. I'm cool with that. That's not what God had intended for us. It's not what God had intended for Peter. And in that moment, it's not what God had even intended for Jesus. Jesus' mission wasn't done yet. I've said this before and I'll say it again. Fruit does not grow on a mountaintop. If you want to see fruit grow in a tree, you cannot plant it on a mountaintop. It has to be planted in a valley. Have you ever seen a fruit tree on the top of a mountain? Maybe in a movie. But if you want to see fruit grow from a tree, it needs to be planted at a lower elevation where it can get the sustenance that it needs, where it can get the climate that it needs. And, and so us as Christians... The scripture says in Matthew 7.20, thus you will know them by their fruit. If we stay on the mountaintops, we will not bear any fruit. We need to come back down to the valley and we need to be planted there and we need to be rooted there so that we can bear fruit for our Lord and Savior. Spurgeon said this of this passage. He says, his talks, he's talking about Peter, his talk sounds rather like that of a bewildered child. He wanders a little, yet his expression is a most natural one. Who would not wish to abide in such society as this, Moses and Elijah and Jesus? What company? But yet how unpractical is Peter? How selfish the one thought, it is good for us. What was to be done for the rest of the 12, for the other disciples, and for the wide, wide world? So what happens next? Before Peter's even done speaking, God jumps into the scene. I imagine Peter probably had quite a bit more to say. He's like, yeah, it's good that we're here. Whoa. And scripture says in verse five, while he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. A voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. God redirects Peter. He says, this, this is good, but you have something that I need you to do. I'm going to redirect your gaze and I'm going to have you look in the direction that you should be looking. I want to ask you, what are you willing to let God redirect you in? We all need it in some area of our lives. And God kind of ups the ante here. He says earlier when Jesus was baptized, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. But in this case, he says, but listen to him. Listen to him. 
And then the disciples, they fall on their faces terrified. And Jesus comes like he always does. And he, he says, look up. Fix your gaze on me. You don't have to be afraid. And now Moses and Elijah are gone. <laughs> and they're, they're heading back down the mountain. <laughs> and he tells them, tell no one this vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. Has anybody ever told you a secret that you're like, oh, and they're like, don't tell anybody. <laughs> this is way bigger than that. Way bigger than that. Could you imagine seeing Jesus transfigured and seeing again the trifecta of the faith and then Jesus telling you, don't tell anyone. I would be like, oh, going down the mountain. How am I supposed to keep this to myself? Oh my gosh, I'm going to explode. My dad told me when I was young, you know, you're my favorite. But don't tell your brothers. I bet he told him the same thing. <laughs> but it was kind of like that. I felt so important. It felt so special and so significant. I wanted to go to my brothers and be like, I'm the favorite. <laughs> nope. Wasn't allowed to. Held on to that one. And as I got older, I'm like, I bet he told all of us that. <laughs> Don't tell your brother. Oh, smart dad. <laughs> so they're going back down the mountain. And then the disciples ask an interesting question. Verses 10 through 13. Then why do you, the scribes say that Elijah must come? He answered, Elijah does come and he will restore all things. But I tell you that Elijah has already come and they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they pleased. So also the son of man will certainly suffer at their hands. And the disciples understood that he was speaking to them about John the Baptist. It's a curious passage, right? I'm not going to spend too much time here, but it seems like they're saying John the Baptist was Elijah. And that's not what they're saying. That's not what uh, Jesus is saying. It, it would appear that way, though. As I looked into this, there are several other passages that clarify this for us. I'm going to just touch on them, touch on them real quick. Matthew 11:14. This is Jesus speaking of John. And it says, And if you are willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who is to come. And in Luke 1.17, he says, he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. So basically, the disciples made the correlation of like, oh, well, I think I'm willing to accept that. That makes sense to me. Oh, so the spirit of Elijah rested on John the Baptist, and it was a similar spirit. I can handle that. I can wrap my head around that. Verses 14 through 18. And when they came to the crowd, a man came up to him kneeling before him and said, Lord, have mercy on my son for he has seizures and he suffers terribly. I love this man's posture. He comes up and he immediately just gets on his knees and he kneels before God and he acknowledges, before Jesus and he acknowledges him as Lord. And he says, Lord, have mercy on my son. That is a right posture for us to come before the King of Kings on our knees, acknowledging him for who he is. Kelly had talked about Jesus not just being our Savior last week, but our Lord. We don't just get half of this thing. We get the whole package. And when we come to Jesus, he saves us, but we acknowledge him, him as Lord. He falls into the fire and often into water, and I brought him to your disciples, and they could not heal him. And Jesus answered, oh, faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? He seems frustrated. 
how long am I to bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the boy was healed instantly. We know the problem. We want mountaintop experiences, especially in this culture. We want the newest phone. We want the newest car. We want the bigger house. We want the better job. We want the more cush, relaxed job. We want the job that lets us work from home. We want the vacation that you don't ever want to come home from. We want to win the lottery. We want, I mean, name it. What's the, what's the mountaintop experience for you? What's the pinnacle of, of life that you're trying to achieve? It not, it's not necessarily a bad thing. It can be. When a good thing becomes an ultimate thing, it takes us away from what God wants for us, has for us, and calls us to. So that's the problem. Why couldn't they stay on the mountaintop? This passage answers that. It was because of the crowd. Jesus had to come down the mountain to be with the crowd. Jesus had to come down the mountain to be with the people. Jesus' mission was people. Jesus' mission is the crowd. Our mission as Christians is people. Our mission as Christians is the crowd. We have a responsibility. We have a task before us to share the love and grace and mercy and joy of Jesus with people who don't know him yet. That is the mandate of every Christian so often we come in here and we, we spend time with only believers. We're so insulated, and that's not what God had intended. Or we want to be on the mountaintop. We need to come down the mountain, and we need to spend time with people who need to experience the love of Christ and give themselves to him in, in faith. I've been so challenged by this and so convicted. So my second point, people are our mission. I want to say people are not projects. Don't make a person your project. You will have no success. You will only become frustrated. They will become frustrated. You're not loving them if they're your project. If you want a project, go build a table. Go hang some lights in your house. People are not projects. People are created in God's image and our responsibility to them is to show them Jesus. So I want to ask you, what are we doing to love and lead people to Jesus? I'm, I'm awful at this. We're so fearful. We're so afraid of what someone's going to say that we don't even know. We're afraid of rejection. You know what? It's in here. It says we're going to be rejected. So settle it in your hearts, church. Settle it. You're going to be rejected. But that doesn't exempt you from going and sharing the truth and love of who Jesus is. We had some friends come through at a retreat that we were at a couple of weeks ago. I'd known these people before they, they, they went to Ireland for a year. Before they went, they were Jesus-loving people. They were great people. They came back, and something happened. I was looking at different people. They have a church in San Diego of about 150. They've led 2,400 people to faith. I think he said 80% of their church is unbelievers. Was that the right number? It was, it, was just, it was an incredibly high number of new believers. Like, ridiculous. No transfer growth. Transfer growth is when people leave one church to go to another church. Zero transfer growth. Just people getting saved all over the place. And I was like, 
Oh, God, what am I doing? Why am I so afraid of being rejected? What do I believe is true about you? Do I really believe that you, you set aside your glory and went to the cross for my sins? Do I believe that? I do. Do I believe that you performed all of these miracles, that you did amazing and wonderful things that scripture details out? I absolutely do. Then why am I silent? Why am I silent? The other day I was driving to work and I was running up the 15 freeway and, and getting ready. I took 138 up to Silverwood, if you guys are familiar with that area. It's a little two-lane highway on 138. And there's these guys doing work on the side of the roads. They're protecting the, the banks because of all the weather. And there's a highway patrolman there, and he's par parked behind these guys. And he's using his, his lights to direct traffic out and around these guys. And I felt the Lord say, I want you to stop and pray for that highway patrolman. And I'm like, awesome. <laughs> so, I, I, so I go, I drive by, I don't stop. <laughs> I, I, I had already had it in my mind. I had to get to the job. I, and I said, when I come back down, I know he'll still be there and I'll stop and I'll pray for him. And then, and then I had an opportunity to get myself worked up. I'm like, oh man, this is a cop. Like, I'm going to be like, it's a little, little two-lane road. He's going to see me coming. He's going to be like, what is this guy doing? Like, oh man. And all the stuff that's taking place with police and shootings and all this stuff, in my mind, I'm going, he's going to be like, what is this guy doing? Or, you know? And so I'm almost talking myself out of it. And I'm like, okay, I'm not going to pull behind him because he's directing him. I'm playing all these scenarios out in my mind. And no matter what, I'm pulling over. So I pull over, make a U-turn, run across the street, break the law, jaywalking, <laughs> walking up the road. The guys that are working are packing up. They're almost done. I go up. I like casually walk up the front of his car and he rolls his window down like this much. I'm like, hey, this is going to sound really weird. But uh, so I'm a Christian and I was driving up the mountain and I felt the Lord say that he wanted me to pull over and pray for you. Is that okay? And he said, yes, it is. And he said, I just want you to do one thing. Come around this side so you don't get hit by traffic. <laughs> no problem. So I go around, I lean in his window, and I ask him, are you a believer? And he says, yes. And I go, oh, that takes the pressure off. <laughs> I said that. I said, he laughed. And I was like, well, I just really felt inclined to pray for you. And so I prayed for him. And you know what he did? He said, can I pray for you? And I said, yeah, I would love that. I would absolutely love that. And he prayed for me. And he told me, I know now why I was called to stop. He said, the last two years of my life have been death after death after death. My brother, my sister, another family member, it's just been death. And so you coming and praying peace over me brings peace to my soul. You coming and praying peace over my family lets me know that God still sees me and that God knows what I'm going through and that God knows that I need somebody to step up and intercede on my behalf. I was like, I'm so glad I stopped. I'm so encouraged. That makes it so much easier to stop again. But again, this word says I'm going to be rejected. And so I have to settle that in my heart. Listen, I'm not special I was so nervous. I'm thinking I could potentially get shot or tased or something crazy. I'm like, I'm, I, I don't know what else to do. I'm just going to do it, Lord. That would be the ultimate rejection. Like, not good. <laughs> not good. I want to encourage you guys 
Be bold, man. Go for it. You have nothing to lose and everything to gain, especially when you're talking to a stranger. If they reject you, you're probably never going to see them again. Who cares? If they don't and you get to pray for them, that's amazing. If you get to pray for them and they come to faith, that's even more amazing. At least you're sowing seed. Maybe you'll never see that person again. And somewhere down the line, they become a Christian because of the prayer that you prayed or the stop that you made to minister to them. Guys, go for it. I'm standing here saying, I'm going to go for it. My prayer is that I have new stories to tell you often, honestly. I feel so convicted and charged by this. Like, I have to start witnessing about my Jesus because the things in here are true. Do you believe they're true? Then go share. There's no reason for you not to. Don't be so insulated. I'm talking to myself. I live in a Christian bubble, man. I don't want to be in, I want to be in this bubble. I don't want to dwell in this bubble. I want to be out in the trenches. I want to go shake the gates of hell open and run in after people and say, Jesus loves you. Can I pray for you? Do you want to have a relationship with him? Come with me. Those gates are there to keep us out, and they can't. They can't. That's what that word says just last week. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. That means we are advancing the gates. When we go out and we witness and we testify on Jesus' behalf, we are taking ground from the enemy, and we're called to do that. We're called to do that. Verses 19 and 20, then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why could we not cast it out? He said to them, because of your little faith, for truly I say to you, if you have the faith like the grain of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. I want to point us to another gospel to help us understand this. Mark 9, 28 and 29 says, when, and when he had entered the house, this is Jesus entering the house after this same moment. His disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this, is, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer or prayer and fasting. So this leads to my third and final point, be rooted in prayer. What's your prayer life like, church? Are you praying for things or are you hoping that things will happen are you praying for healing for somebody and it's not happening? Are you asking the Lord to show up in a certain way? I'm not promising that he's going to show up in every way and fulfill all of your desires and requests by praying more or fasting. What I am saying is that when you pray and you fast earnestly and wholeheartedly, you are filled with faith and you are empowered by the spirit of God that lives inside of you and these things are more possible. It fills us when we pray and we fast. Prayer moves mountains. I've read this passage so many times and, 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 I, and I, I believe that God has the power to physically move a mountain. And that's how I've always read this passage. As I was reading this passage this week and studying, I had a, a different picture of, of what, the, what the moving of the mountain actually is. In this context, I'm just going to read it, in which we see this, what I think, what I actually think Jesus is saying 
is we have mountains in our lives that are stumbling blocks to our mission. He references the mountain that they had just come down from, and that mountain was a stumbling block for Peter for his mission. It was a good mountain, but a stumbling block nonetheless. So I think what Jesus is saying here is when you have faith as small as a mustard seed, when you're rooted in prayer and fasting, and you have an obstacle in your life and you pray for it, it can move. It might move instantly. It might move incrementally. It might not move at all. But we still have a call and a mandate to be rooted in prayer, to grow in our faith, and to trust the power of the Holy Spirit to say to the mountain in my life, you need to move. And it moves. To the mountain in other people's lives, the mountain of the unbeliever, Move away from this unbeliever so that they can come to know Jesus. Move away from my brother or sister in Christ because they need freedom here. What are the mountains in your life that prevent you from being close to God? We're coming in the land. What are they? Could be a good mountain, could be a bad mountain. Think about that. This is an opportunity for us to exercise our prayer and our faith and ask those mountains to move. Why? Because we have a mission. Because we have a responsibility to go see men and people saved in Jesus' name. It's not going to happen on its own. It's going to happen when we step out in faith and step out of our bubble and go say, do you know who Jesus is? He loves you. He wants a relationship with you. In Jesus' name, get the mountain of fear out from in front of me. In Jesus' name, get the mountain of rejection out from in front of me. In Jesus' name, I believe what this word says, so I'm going to go and tell people how good and how kind and how loving you are. Move those mountains, people. Let's pray for those mountains to be moved. I want to ask you guys a question. Won't you, if, how do I say this? Would you like to be prayed for, for a spirit of boldness to rest on you, to go into your workplaces, to go into your schools, to go into your neighborhoods, to go to your grocery store, to go to your coffee shop? Would you like a spirit of boldness to rest on you and empower you this morning? If that's you, will you please stand up? I want to pray for you.